0: Oh, you've never seen The Departed? No. It's the one with Mark, uh, Marky Mark. What the fuck is his name? I'm thinking of Transformers. I'm thinking of... His his last name's E-Mark and the Funky Bunch.
1: (laughs) (laughs)
2: Welcome once again aboard Beef Station for a very special 50th episode.
1: Yo! Oh Jesus!
2: Join us as we hurtle through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar.
0: I am Andrew. Andrew. Thank you. <laughs> if I'd known that... Yeah. I feel like you had an unfair advantage leading because I didn't know I'd be mocked and I would have mocked <laughs> you back if I had known, if we talked about it in advance, but we didn't talk about it in advance, so now it's, what a, it's nil one with what, the mocking, isn't it? Nil one with <laughs> the mocking. What
2: a crazy move to, like, without any prompting, just be like, oh, I'm Oscar. <laughs> oh, I'm Andrew.
0: Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh, yeah. If I just went for it. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> setting. <laughs> tone for the start of this little one.
2: How are you doing, my boy?
0: Yeah, I almost uh, threw myself off a bridge after work earlier oh, today. Did a funny
2: thing happen to you on the yeah, way to the great theater? A thing happened to me. I, All right, tell- go no, for I it.
0: started to tell you about this, and then we were like, <laughs> no, no, no. Don't don't socially interact normally. Save it for the podcast. <laughs> this might be shit, but let's save it yeah, for yeah, our 30 yeah. listeners. So Go for it, boy. It was this I was tasked at work with looking up a bunch of statistics about a certain thing, right? Brilliant. And so I did that days ago and forgot about it. And yeah. then this the, the the timeline of this thing that I was working rapidly accelerated <laughs> to the point where they were like, "Okay, we're gonna it's gonna need to be done by like Thursday." And I thought I had <laughs> right. weeks, and it wasn't really a big deal. And so like. Uh, the just this, there was this one email that came through that was just listing a whole bunch of stuff from from this person supervising me, and one of the points was just like, "Oh, and can you just uh, send me through all the sources that you used <laughs> to get those, st- <laughs> to so get how- those stats?" And I was like, "Sure, yep, sure. I definitely didn't make them up. I got them from places. I didn't make them up. That <laughs> sounds like I'm preparing the story that I made them up. I didn't make them up. Here's but, is my one Wikipedia link." Like, well, no, it was like one of the things I based entirely off the fact that he told me that that was what we were basing it off. So I was right. like, okay, I didn't really, I didn't have this necessarily verified. So, But I did have a bunch of the other ones. So I put a bunch of the other ones down. And then in the course of like, uh, I was trying to find the original source that I got this statistic from. And <laughs> I stumbled across this, this article that was entitled, The Statistic You Used is it true? And I was like... <laughs> no, no, no. No, you know, I, was just, I just looked at it and I was like... <laughs> I feel like... I feel like I can only make the decision to click on this once. <laughs> and it's like basically asking me, like, do you want to blow up the next three days of work? And this when you like, have like 10 minutes to finish the task yeah, you've been given? Yeah, literally. Like- <laughs> li- literally. There was... Yeah. He, I think the timeline was like, in the next 30 minutes. And I just... Dis- <laughs> And I saw this article and I was like, I I can't throw away my integrity. I have to read this. And it was basically like, this thing was spouted in front of Congress by multiple senators and is made up. And the next thing that it linked to was a statement by the company that this had allegedly been attributed to. It issued an official statement Six years after the stat came out saying, we don't know where this came from. It's been said in Congress. (laughs) It's absolutely not verifiable or true. We would recommend that no one use it. (laughs) Oh, man. So I sent a very (laughs) panicked email being like, (laughs) we can't use it. So my life was a flop sweat for 24 hours (laughs) while I rapidly went back and forth between me graphic designers that had to oh put this shit God. genuinely and we I, it was like pull it pull this we have to use something else instead so i had to find something else rock solid verifiable get it approved, send it to a graphic designer in like eight hours. Like this graphic designer was replying <laughs> at ungodly times. So, oh, man. fast forward to, oh, I, I got it sorted and pissed oh, off God. every single person I worked with <laughs> in the process. <laughs> and I apologized multiple times saying clearly like, I need to Because you check say, you present that as like,
2: hey, I'm wrong, might as well sound like, hey, sorry,
0: turns out Wikipedia I, is not a credible no, source. it like, turns out I didn't do my job properly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I did I did mention that it was it was like quoted in front of Congress, <laughs> but anyway. So, oh fast forward God. to the meeting in which this thing was being deployed. Basically, the the final test before <gasps> this thing went live. And the statistic, let's call the statistic that I was using the 60% statistic, right? right? Let's just call it that. So, <laughs> We're starting to run through this thing and we this is like a large project and the the things that I contributed to were kind of like after the halfway point. And so we're skimming through it, we're skimming through it, we're skimming through it, we skim over everything I did. Th- this was the the other people that I did not from our not from our work that were like just skimming through it, skimming through it, yeah, 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 great, go, 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 great. And then at one point, there was a double up on questions that we were asking. And one of them related to the statistic that I was using and the other one was one that they suggested. And uh, and so we said, okay, instead of the one that you suggested, let's use the one that we suggested because it's slightly more detailed. (laughs) And we started to say what it was and it was the replacement that I'd come up with that was rock solid and verified. Right. And the people cut us off and was just like, oh, is this that 60% statistic? And I said, no, no, that's not verifiable so we we found that and didn't use it. This is a different statistic from this different place, <laughs> and they said, "Oh yeah, we just run with the sixty percent statistic because it's been quoted in so many places. So that's just what we use now." <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and but so it's I not think true for the rich.
2: Re- <laughs> <laughs> look, Andrew, buddy. Did you not realize? I'm that with that you. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: that's extremely I, I think- I think Extremely that was the. Extremely
2: good shit. I think that
0: was the last word I said in the meeting because for the rest of the meeting I was genuinely staring <laughs> out of a window, <laughs> thinking, "What if I threw myself out of that?" <laughs> <laughs> Would people sit around for three weeks and de- deny it ever happened?
1: Unbelievable <laughs> shit!
0: <laughs> like it ruined my life for like thirty-six <laughs> hours, and then when it really mattered, someone was like, "Oh, that thing, use that." <laughs> we love that. It's not true, and the guy was like. We know it's not true, but use it anyway. Incredible. That rocks. I just... Uh, nothing... Nothing matters. <laughs> nothing matters. Anyone can Nothing's see. Nothing's ever mattered. It, it never me. matters. You don't need to do any work ever. Boom, 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 bloom, Don't ever bloom, put any effort boom, into boom, anything. Boom, boom, bloom, bloom. That's my story. Mama! Very good. Yeah. Um, so, speaking of which... <laughs>
2: <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of half-arsing <laughs> it <laughs> well, We are covering uh, Elton John's Rocketman biopic today Before we jump into that and give our spoiler-free review though We've got a couple other segments to get out of the way first mm. uh, How do you feel about doing a bit of news first? Love the news
0: boy Love the news Actually
2: I might not have that much news Hold on.
0: Well fuck You know what they say <laughs> Big shoes <laughs> Big shoes, no news <laughs> um, News, his dick's big <laughs> Ready? Yeah Before you say that We got an email in the middle of the week From friend of the show, Marin. Alright, <laughs> yep <laughs> Asking if Well, actually Reporting that until very recently, exclusive.
2: <laughs> this news just in. Ding, 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 this news ding, 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 in ding, ding, a couple ding, ding, of ding, ding. days
0: ago. Berlin, 1945. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Saying, uh, she has been in absolute consideration. That's not the word I was looking for. Whatever. Do you want to take
2: another crack at the fucking noun you were looking for? What's bruh?
0: when you're like trying to figure out something in like deep, like deeply questioning or like yeah, kind sure. Of deliberation maybe. Deliberation. That's She's good. She's been deliberating yeah. over whether or not. Nah, it's still, still not that word. What right word did she use? Don't paraphrase our listeners. Wondering, which, in my opinion, shit word. Take that, Marin. <laughs> she said, Boys, I've been wondering for so many EPs whether your news jingle is pre recorded and just replayed <laughs> every time.
2: <laughs> How's that for
0: consistency, baby? However. <laughs> oh, boy. The one man jukebox right here. However. Andrew gave the game away with an underwhelming baseline in the human soup <laughs> episode. <laughs> 10 out of 10 for consistency and mystery, minus this particular episode. <laughs> Thought you should know. We
2: had these morons going for 45 episodes. And I
0: flubbed it. And
2: you flubbed I, it.
0: I screwed the pooch on that one. Just, yeah.
2: just for the record, I've always felt like I was doing the heavy lifting of that intro. Oh, yeah, well, And I had a piss-poor 1978-ass like, drum machine behind me. It's nice to know that it was at least consistently piss-poor
0: well, for the last 45 if episodes. If I'm the bass, I think you're the tenor, alto, and soprano. <laughs> and probably the middle <laughs> as the well. I'm the rest so. of the
2: orchestra, baby. Thank, yep. thank you Marin, for your feedback The relevant staffing changes will be made so You made, go, you as made me through. feel
0: guilty and I put more effort in That was for you Marin. Mm-hmm. Beef bulletin I better get an email about <laughs> that <laughs> uh,
2: uh, So there's been a couple um, Beef bulletin <laughs> so, so, so this um, news story Is perfect in that it helps us hate Disney But imperfect in that it often Falls into the category of weird Political Kind of headlines That we often avoid That sounds um, right up my alley <laughs> yeah, Hit right. me um, Hit me bro So you know how Oh man You know how You're going to have to
0: dial it Way down oh, no You know
2: how there's been All those like abortion law Changes in southern states I'm recently? am back on Right
0: <laughs> um, So oh, in Alabama and shit Georgia Is having yeah. that
2: same Kind of discussion And if you've ever watched a movie And been like And been Wondering why they make such a big deal about the film being like made in Georgia. Like, Baby Driver is filmed in Atlanta. A lot of films are filmed in Atlanta because it's passably similar in movies to New York. That right, kind of shit. Right, right, um, They have great but they have tax, better tax cuts yeah. for people filming movies there. Uh, and because of the abortion laws they're passing at the moment, or trying to get through in those kinds of areas. A lot of actresses, like I think, um, so Sophie Turner and Jessica Chastain, for example, have said they are going to try and avoid filming films that film there to boycott that state, for example. Oh, right. So okay, Disney sure. has now come out and said that, whether it's because he has staff members that feel uncomfortable filming there or otherwise, um, this, the head of Disney has now said he thinks it's going to be very difficult for them to keep, forming in, uh, to keep, to keep filming in Georgia if these abortion laws pass.
0: Right. Um, which is wild. Well that's pretty huge because I'm guessing the state gets a lot of money.
2: Yeah, well they filmed like they filmed Avengers Endgame and Black Panther there. Um it's clearly like one of the most profitable places to film well, stuff.
0: It'll be interesting to see what happens because money is possibly the one thing that Republicans care over their shitty morals about. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Which one wins out. This feels a little bit like um Yeah, I don't know. Just
2: yeah, I, I thought it was in, I thought it was interesting. Just I saw a comment on like Reddit or something that said like yeah, this just means they'll go with the second best place to film. There's probably another yeah, place probably right a, equivalently that equivalently yeah, good yeah, tax yeah. cuts. Yeah, um, Maybe like Toronto or some weird fucking country will be like the hub for filming ho- big Hollywood blockbusters now. But I thought that was interesting enough. Yeah. Um, a couple of trailers have dropped this week. Um, the new trailer for the Gamma del Toro film, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. That's right. Has dropped this week. Uh, it is set in 1968 America. I think it's based on the book of the same name. I think it's a book series, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a, yeah I, I think it is, yeah. But it's it's based it's a on the book like, series. A
0: little like a precursor to Goosebumps, I think. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. To be honest, I haven't watched the trailer because I'm kind of I want to be surprised by it, but I thought it was worth... You bastard. <laughs>
0: I say my, that every time. Kinda, like, Watch kinda, the trailer we're not fucking friends it's anymore. It's kind of my thing, you know? Yeah, okay. <laughs> um... Oh no. Another trailer that's dropped this week is the. That's fucking cultural appropriation,
2: bro. Another trailer that's dropped is the one for the new Pixar film Onward, starring Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. Mm -hmm. Love both those dudes. Uh,. Same director as Monsters University. This film is going to be good shit, I think. I reckon I'm going to watch this trailer. I don't know if that's interesting. He's like, guess what trailers Oscar might decide to watch this week? <laughs> but no. Um, I'm trailers,
0: gonna... Oscar's considering.
2: <laughs> I'm really excited. Uh, trailer since we've last recorded that I've seen is the trailer for the new Quentin Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which looks unbelievably good. Yeah. It's got that same kind of Tarantino y style. I've heard a lot of people describe him as like a DJ of cinema where he gets like lots of different cultural stuff and mixes, like for example, how they played a lot of
0: sampling artist.
2: Yeah. Where they, where he played like a lot of hip hop tracks in Django Unchained, for example. Yeah, yeah, Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, just the way in which he uses like music that might necessarily mesh with the like visual style he's going for, together with strange editing techniques and that kind of thing, means that his films often have a bit of a larger than life kind of feel to them. Mm. This had a similar kind of tone, I think, and I think the trailer. If you're worried about trailers spoiling shit, not that I've seen the movie, obviously, but it really does seem like this trailer is just trying to try to give you a general sensation of the tone of the film.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's he's always done that 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 type of like pastiche work really well. Yeah, exactly. But he's he's never. Uh, restrained himself by that. He's always used the pastiche as a platform, and then gone with what feels right based on the kind of platform that he's using, yeah. which is always a really cool, always a really cool thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm keen for that too.
2: Um, <laughs> in uh, keeping with our. Promise? I don't think we have promised, but you know what? I'm going to keep updated with some Dune news, boy. I've never promised boy. anything in my life, man. <laughs> um, that's, Well, that's my
0: thing. Your thing <laughs> is that you don't watch trailers. My thing, never promised anything <laughs> to
2: anyone. Uh, Denis nerve has promised that the 2020 epic adaptation of the Dune novel... Is good. ...will honour everyone everything about the novel. Oh, all fuck. 400 and something pages. So I look forward <laughs> to evil Nerd being crucified. It's,
0: it's mixed appeal and <laughs> questionable execution. It's going to be bloated just like the novel. Yeah, I was just <laughs> telling you to read that book. It's very good. <laughs> that's Everyone why, should read it. That's why I mentioned it's it. It's great world building. It's, one of a, it's a master class in world building. Uh, JK Rowling is going to release four <laughs> new I, I promise you it will one day be made into a good <laughs> film.
2: <laughs> yes. Uh, JK Rowling is going to release four new Harry Potter non-fiction ebooks moving right along. Cool um, JK. <laughs> so were you joking or were you talking? uh oh, never mind. Um I was joking. Uh we've had a couple films come out this week that I didn't Not even cool. realize were out. Uh, <laughs> Aladdin is out the oh, yeah. modern uh live action adaptation and it's Debuted at with one hundred and twenty-one million dollars overseas in its opening weekend, which is apparently doing very well. It's funny Mike. Um, Apparently, Toy Story Four is also out. No, it's out in three weeks. Yeah, all right, okay, maybe it's out, maybe it's out in the US because back check. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You be- fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> In the US, it's already made $150 million, uh, which is apparently doing very well. Um, Industry experts saying it could even reach as high as $180 million. It's it's made $180 million
0: and it's not out yet.
2: Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, It's apparently doing very well. I, I will remain... Cautiously optimistic about the new Toy Story film. I've liked all the other ones. I thought Toy Story 3, really, and it was good. So, you know, I'll be interested to see what that is. Um, A quick update that the Robert Pattinson Batman speculation that we reported on the other week is official.
0: Robert Pattinson will be
2: the new Batman.
0: Sure. Um, I didn't see him in whatever that one was. Water for Elephants, was it? I I feel like that was his big later... It was like a few years ago now. Maybe like... Fuck, maybe like seven years ago now, but... <clears throat> I feel like I haven't really seen him in anything since then. So I'm keen to see him be given a larger role because I think he's a pretty good actor. I apparently. think he's a good
2: actor and he gets a bad rep for just being in a weird teenage movie. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's, he's, I think, I don't know, we've mentioned it last time, he is in, apparently, the new Christopher Nolan movie, Tenet. Oh, that's right. The Spy right. Yeah, movie yeah, yeah, is yeah, coming sure. out soon. Um, fuck, I'm so excited for that Christopher Nolan movie, man. It's going to be so good. I'm genuinely, ecstatically excited for it.
1: Mm. Um, this yeah. is Land an interesting Awaken film. i think about uh, in it.
2: <laughs> In keeping with all these new biopics and musical films that are coming out Of course we've had the Queen film, Bohemian Rhapsody that came out It's a huge acclaim, popular audience response uh, Big soundtrack, Blue Oscar Queen Oscar Oscar nominated uh, We're covering the Elton John movie Rocketman this week Which has been huge um, All sorts of other stuff's coming out There's a new Bob Dylan documentary about one of his popular touring years directed by Martin Scorsese, um, which looks unbelievable. Uh, A bit of news here, boy. Um, I know you're a big fan of the lead singer of Karma Chameleon, which is why I'm happy to announce that there's a Boy George
0: biopic in the works. I think Karma Chameleon (laughs) is one of... My least, least favorite songs ever made.
2: Oh, I used to be so sweet, I that say. I've heard.
0: Well, like, I just have no, I have, like, neutral sentiment towards a lot of, like, fucking man. absolutely mediocre songs. But every time trouble. I hear that, it
2: I, I feel
0: bad things.
2: And, and it's
0: way worse than most come things. come and go, come
1: and go, come and go, come, come. and <laughs> go.
2: That's all I got. Uh, (laughs) That's all I got. (laughs) To be honest, I thought that would go better because that's the last news story. Oh, right. (laughs) Boy George, can you imagine how crazy would that be? That's all I got. Um, That's the big bulletin for this week, boy. I think we did pretty well, didn't we? We've kept it nice and short. Um, We thought that to honor our 50th episode, (laughs) in addition to the fact that this episode is, of course, live in front of an audience.
0: Oh, yeah. Yep, Woo! that's them. Woo! Woo! Yeah. <laughs> um we <laughs> What's thought that, that, we that Nathan for you thing where he's <laughs> like, uh my friends are all here, they're applauding and laughing, having a great time, just out of frame. <laughs> it's just a photo of him, it's just a photo of us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um Live Studio audiences. Live off studio mic. audience. You just can't hear. Of course. Them. Uh they're thank you to all the listeners, right
2: that, the countless listeners that came and managed to get tickets. To mm. so all of you listening at Hobie just of course out. We sold out. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um we thought we'd try and bring back a popular segment that I've heard had one person mention that we should bring back.
0: Yeah, fuck yeah. So
2: here we go. Um, we're going to bring back Mystery Meat, baby. <laughs> um, so Mystery Meat is, of course, our segment that we've <laughs> done about 20 episodes ago now, where we're professional film reviewers, we're broadcasting professionals. But there are... <laughs> <laughs>
0: Disclaimer. No.
2: <laughs> there are a few movies, nay, a majority of the IMDb top 250 movies of all time, that we have not seen. But yeah. you know what? We didn't to see them. We're gonna have a good old crack at just, you know, trying to stumble our way through I what be I don't need to see movies about.
0: to know what goes on, baby. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, yeah, I got that innate knowledge. This is I know this is what you've rasa. always wanted.
2: When someone tries to give a review of a movie they haven't seen. So Andrew,
1: what yes. movies are we doing this <laughs> one? what movies are we doing this week, I'm gonna have
0: a crack at Sixth Sense, which I've never seen, and you are going to attempt to tackle Blind, the plot of two thousand and one, a space odyssey. Right. Okay. Before we go, yeah. what do you think you know about Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey?
2: Well, now that we've jumped into the bit, of course, as you, bo- as we all know, I've seen Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey <laughs> many times. Right. I'm intimately familiar. Is the bit me. that we've so seen I know- it? <laughs> I've seen Andrew. I've seen it. It's my favourite movie.
0: I've seen it. I thought the bit was that we were clever enough professional film critics that we were able to intuit the plot of a film from its poster alone. Andrew, I don't know what to say. I've seen
2: 2001 A Space Odyssey many, many times. I think if you're looking... I watched it this morning. Um, (laughs) I think
0: if you're looking for the poster for inspiration, you are going to be sorely disappointed. Well,
2: for a start, I don't need one of what, oh my god, what looks like several varied posters. Yes. Um, but it doesn't matter because I don't need them because I've seen the movie. Um, okay, I'm going to give you two. I Sorry, know there's first. a bit where Hal has to open the pod bay doors and he can't do it, mm. right? But, um, but why? But why? I know that there are the monkeys with the bones, <laughs> right? And uh, I know that yes. I n- uh, and you know, I you know I know that Stanley Kubrick's got his finger on the pulse of 2006 technology. That's all mm. they got. Yep. Alright, so as we all know, Stanley Kubrick's <laughs> film.
0: <laughs> did you, be honest, did you know it was directed by Stanley Kubrick before you looked at the poster? <laughs> yes. yes,
2: okay. Yeah, yeah. As we all know, Stanley Kubrick's film, 2001 A Space Odyssey, a modern classic, came out 18 years ago today. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um
0: is is boldly named after the year it was released. Boldly,
2: <laughs> right. Um <laughs> just like Christopher Nolan's 2009 yeah. and Inception. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um it's weird because I mean a lot of pe- a lot of people sort of seen Birdman. All right, I'm done. <laughs> a lot of people um credit 2001 A Space Odyssey, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey mm-hmm. came out 18 years ago today. Famed epic drama of adventure and exploration. Yeah, well see that's the thing. People think that's what it is, but they don't actually quite remember. Oh. So, you know, there's all this... I'm wrong, am I? <laughs> of course you are, yeah. Um, so, people, t- people talk about how this film is, like, uh, way ahead of its time and has predicted a whole lot of technology, like you see, like, tablet PCs and that kind of thing and touch screens and all sorts of shit in the film. Right. Um, people forget Stanley Kubrick, the fucking hack that everyone knows he is, he just spliced together all those Apple keynotes. That's right. all it
0: is. Because, of course, those had happened by
1: yeah, 2001. it's an
2: odyssey. Through all the space that he had to go through on his hard drive to just dump seven or eight gigabytes worth of Steve Jobs waffling on about the iPhone, which is a music device, an internet communicator, and a phone, right. all in one device, right?
0: that's and all it is. And also has an evil autonomous AI.
2: Yeah, right, exactly. And so thank you. I didn't I didn't need that. Th- thank oh, you. No, thank you. you knew for, it, thank you for jogging me. my memory. Um that's <laughs> that's all it is. The why it's a modern classic is beyond me, because <laughs> if you ask me, it's more like a docudrama that just chronicles Steve <laughs> Steve Jobs' slow descent into like veganism right. and his eventual death. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> I <laughs> I think it was very bold of them to make one of the pilots also die of pancreatic cancer <laughs> from completely avoidable choices to to not engaged with medical treatment. Yes, and, of course, <laughs> the reason why this
2: film is so unfathomably long and this intrepid space explorer may we not have fallen asleep within the first half an hour seven or eight times <laughs> is because it opens up with that big monkey scene with the bones bashing at the monolith. Yeah, the, monolith, the Empire State Yeah, right. The, mo- like, <laughs> <laughs> the monolith, of course, is a metaphor for the sheer big scale <laughs> of... <laughs> of iPad screens in years to come things are going to get bigger baby and they're going to get bigger still the monkeys bashing on the rocks are of course demonstrative of how the silicon is extracted to make the touch screens of these iPads I'm befuddled as to why this movie is popular, because it's essentially how did this get made. And of course, he sort of starts with, like, before the iPad existed, with your sand and your rocks and your glass. He continues through to whatever the fuck happens to them in the middle when I was asleep. And he talks about, you know, it's it's basically just the Steve Jobs shit. No one cares. Right. And then it finishes with the. Siri. Yes. Named? Names. Harry? Harry? Yes. Yeah, right. And so, um, the, the climax of the film, not that... I, I mean, it's it's a lot of gorgeous shots. you got to watch the film, of course, if you want to see, like... I C- should do that, yeah. Cupertino's amphitheater <laughs> one in all its glory. But um, really what you're there to see is the bit where the main character... Uh, Stan Lee is just <laughs> desperately trying to sink his
0: Stanley, Lee the de- creator of Marvel <laughs> is, is the main character in that's, 2001 That's Space how obviously. he got famous Oh Okay yeah, right, right. Um, You know the well, Iron Man didn't make it like yeah. 2007 And then he went into yeah. the fourth dimension and invented Spider-Man
2: <laughs> No no fourth dimension he just sat on his hands for seven <laughs> oh, years sorry, and then Spider-Man came out in 2000 understand. whenever it was with Tobey Maguire and that's when Stan Lee <laughs> Yeah right Um Of of course, the the climax of the film really culminates in the main character, Stanley, as we know.
0: um, Stanley. Desperately
2: trying to sink his MP3 player. And he's like, open the iPod bay doors, (laughs) Harry. (laughs) Open the iPod so I can get my third eye blind in there. So I can listen to it. While I'm... uh, iPad. Right. And he says, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And then his MacBook crashes. And that's why they're discontinuing iTunes and this that's year. And credits.
0: And that's it. Right. Shit. <laughs> Whoever knew that the, the pod in 2001 A Space Odyssey was Woo! was an iPod.
2: Do it again. No, thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No on cause. Wait till the... Hold your applause. Um. That's it. Incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think you should watch it, man. It's pretty good. I think yeah. it's right up early. Well, it's a lot... It's I wasn't sp-
0: going to, but you've sold me. Yeah, I mean, like... <sighs> As people would know, I'm a huge fan of large corporations, especially Apple if, and Steve yeah, Jobs. Yeah, and,
2: and I think if you want, like, a... The Dune movie sounds great. So if you want, like, a big, large-scale conceptual sci-fi film, maybe right. wait for the Dune movie to come okay. out. Go back and watch... Interstellar. ignore everything else. Yeah, go back and watch Interstellar. If you want, like a, like, a weird... It's like a discovery channel dramatized documentary I'll about watch the James making Cameron's of the avatar. iPad. <laughs> What's James Cameron's I- avatar while you're watching this?
0: Shit. Because you know that Wizard side of Oz, you know that Wizard of Oz Pink Floyd thing. So he's saying this is like a reading companion to James Cameron's well, Avatar. Well, yeah, yeah, you
2: know how that you know that Wizard of Oz Pink Floyd thing where you listen to the Dark Side of the Moon while you watch Wizard of Oz and it matches up perfectly. No. (laughs) Right, that's a thing. I'm out of the bit? No. (laughs) Out of the bit. There is a conspiracy theory that uh, Dark Side of the Moon was composed as a companion piece to Wizard of Oz. Right. Such that if you start Dark Side of the Moon, the album, I think when Dorothy gets to Oz, enough scenes match up that it's beyond coincidence and Pink Floyd meant for it to happen. Wow. I'm going to do that. (laughs) Two thousand and one is a documentary about iPads. Great, no-turn.
0: fantastic. I, I really, as I said, don't need to watch the movie anymore because you have you've brought to me that that Kubrick magic, and uh, yeah, and I can't be fucked to watch it, and <laughs> so I won't.
2: For all the people that have skipped ahead to this point of the podcast, <laughs> that was for us.
0: Yeah, it really isn't it always.
2: <laughs> right, so Andrew, you of course have seen The Sixth Sense many yeah. times. It's your favourite film.
0: I have. I've seen it. Uh, how many times? Five. Right, five times. <laughs> let's. Oh no! Wait, six times. Yeah. Let's
2: do. Let's go with five. Six. I've seen it six right. Six, six times. Six times. Six
0: um, one, I've never one, seen it. One for each sense I have. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it
2: three times. No, I've seen it six case. times.
0: Okay, so, um, now I I'm aware that in this film, Haley Joel Osment's character is Bruce Willis. Yeah, right. No, we... Again... Right, so uh, no, that's a little bit of like... I'm, I'm getting, I'm I haven't getting into the mindset of... You know, I'm contextualizing it for you because a lot of people know how this film ends and, of course, the twist ending is that H- Haley Joel Osmond is... Is the 40-year-old man Bruce Willis. Right. right. Yep. Uh, but what a lot of people don't know is that the film's initial first scene is uh, Bruce Willis undergoing... For real... Radical surgery to right. become a young boy with hair again, <laughs> right? And yeah, in, of course, yeah. And yeah. in a catastrophic medical fuck up,
2: I don't remember seeing that bit in the trailer. That's they all. also that's
0: implant all. an anus into his throat. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, right. But it still has taste buds, and <laughs> so they say, "All right, well, he he can taste through his butt," and so. And so technically <laughs> medically that's a sixth sense. <laughs> <laughs> and so what we've done is we've actually accidentally created a sixth a sixth sense because we we accidentally put a butthole in his in his esophagus. <coughs> but this is <laughs> No, sorry, you go first.
2: No, I was going to say I've I've heard that this is the film that David Cronenberg did a spin-off for a few years later. Yeah, a
0: total reboot. Yeah, yes. right. <laughs> yes, so I absolutely. Just, I just
2: wanted to know: Is this?
0: Yeah, and that one didn't go over very well uh, because it, it just was, doesn't seem like it was it's far less our graphic and <laughs> and disgusting than than Cronenberg's normal it just, work.
2: It just doesn't seem like our man Dave has been left with much no, room to no, work no, no, with. No. Yeah, I mean, right. I feel
0: like in reality Cronenberg is a bit hacked <laughs> and stole a lot of his. A lot of his original material from the sixth sense, <laughs> despite the fact that I think it came out way later. But Right, and so the the I see dead people line, which is of course famous. Right. A lot of people mis mishear that line because what it actually is is I see <laughs> dead people Because Because he can because he can also <laughs> Don't because he can also t- taste. <laughs> <laughs> taste through his throat butt when, when there are dead people around. <laughs> and so there's a huge turning point in, in what I would oh. call the, the, the second act of the three-act story, <gasps> where the scientists go, oh, actually, sorry, putting a... Putting a butthole in 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 the throat doesn't really count as a sixth sense. If anything, it it would just be the the sense of <laughs> taste again.
2: The second sense again. Sorry, is the actual that? the
0: actual sixth sense now? I'm just describing what the scientists say in the movie. So, <laughs> please leave your questions until the end of the presentation. Yes, yeah, read through the IMDb quotes page first. Well, I'm not doing not. that. I've seen the movie. I don't need to do that. But they they, they say that. <laughs> sorry, actually, we've 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 looked at it again, and we've discovered that this that that. Bruce Willis, who once again is a 38-year-old man. who Well, he's still a 38-year-old man, biologically, but he's had just an extensive amount of awful yeah, surgery. Right, yeah, yeah. And again, they still screwed it up, still put a butthole yeah. in his throat, but inadvertently also that butthole can taste dead people. <laughs> and <laughs> that's the sixth <laughs> sense.
2: My, right, so, so, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that Haley Joel Osment, during filming... Went blind, and so they decided to from perform the same. Far too much, yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, so perform the same surgery That's on him. Poisoning.
0: Awful, terrible thing.
2: Replacing his his eyes with two buttholes. Yeah, they had to get a donor butthole. Yeah, and stay with me here. Is that where us see dead people comes from?
0: That's my understanding. Right. Yes.
2: So there's some sort of 3D projection mapping. Of, like, fecal molecules in the air, and that's
0: how Ellie Jolosman sees. Yes. Um, when you fart, that is your mortal soul exiting your body. Yeah, right. The first time you fart, that's actually what the Catholics reference as original sin, and so you (laughs) you you emulse your mortal soul. What it actually is ah
2: the original's in. The original's (laughs) still in there. It's I've still got still the blood. It's in there. It's up there.
0: So that's original sin and you fart and so like your mortal soul is cursed to walk this planet for the rest of time. But because it happened in fart form, you're made of fecal (laughs) molecules, which is of course A, 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 a horrifying fate for a mortal right. soul to be walking around as this eternal fart, and so every time, so he he'll walk through like waft clouds, which are souls of dead people, and he'll go. Us see dead people because of course Haley Joel Osment is Italian, right? He's Borat, right? <laughs> I see dead people. <laughs> the final scene, um, is that they have uh just an an unbelievably cinematic battle on the rooftop of a building um, in which Bruce Willis's character, as Haley Joel Osment's character, dies, saying, uh, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe, attack ships off the shoulder of Orion, I watched gonna <laughs> in the dark near the tent, has a gate. Yeah, and right. And dies. And that's where it ends. Yes. Right. And credits. Cool, great. No, well, I mean... <laughs> To be honest, I reckon, I think R.C. Dead People wasn't great writing. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean... <laughs> not, not the best. <laughs> I mean, if we could go back and... Um, and it really feels like <laughs> they phoned it in on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... Maybe with a bit of panic. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it definitely it definitely sounds like M. Night Shyamalan was caught unawares a little bit by the i c Dead People suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's not worry about it. It sounds like you've seen it a lot, man. I wouldn't worry about
0: No, I don't need to watch it. Yeah, right. Um
2: again, you mean?
0: Uh yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, great. Um <laughs> You also <laughs> genuinely just informed me that it was directed by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 oh. Right. Moving right. on.
0: Moving right along.
2: Um <laughs> Welcome to all the people to the third minute of the podcast. We have now it cut went- to... Ugh, and kept skipping forward. <laughs> you definitely didn't miss upwards of 30 minutes of it's not bad improv. It's well, just of course it's a not. poor recollection if of If anything yeah, it's a no, reading series. Yeah, right. Um this week we thought that we would really go go out with a bang for the movie we we're reviewing this week mm. and review Rocketman. Ron Rocket Rocket John's Man. Rocketman. Hello. Burning at the, the gonna be a alone. long, long time Ooh. Rocket Man!
0: Rocket Man. So I reckon the audio from the film that we just played probably doesn't need to make it into the final cut. <laughs> <don't
2: I? laughs> no, sorry. People love seeing the trailer.
0: Uh, right, so uh, Rocket Man
2: came out in 2019, this year, directed by Dexter Fletcher, who... Perhaps not famously, but most recently and most notably, is the director who finished the direction of Bohemian Rhapsody following the firing of Brian Singer. And who he was kind on of for the last meat. two weeks of filming? Yeah, exactly. So, for, for whatever guild rules, it meant that he didn't get official credit
0: but, um, as a so director. Brian Singer got me too. And, and uh, this guy, Dexter Fletcher. F- kind of stepped in for the last two weeks of filming and was given an executive producing credit Yeah, due to Directors Guild of America rules. Yeah.
2: Most notably, he's done a lot of
0: acting Mm. in
2: the movies and TV. Uh, The only other films that he's directed... Ones that I've heard of that are Sunshine and Leaf and Eddie the Eagle. And then, of course, he finished up the directing of Bohemian Rhapsody. Yep. So he's now, he is the real director that didn't get me
0: tuned for Rocket Man. <laughs> uh, Yet. Should that just always be the way that, the, yeah. the thing that you say? Yeah. So, yep. Dexter Fletcher. <laughs> As of
2: June 2019. Yeah. Uh, I think it's oh. interesting that the two biggest biopics of the year were both directed by the same guy, essentially. So. To start in broad strokes about this film, it stars Taron Egerton as Elton John. He is most famous for having appeared most recently in the Kingsman films. Yes. Uh, Jamie Bell plays... More like Jamie end. Hell yeah. Jamie Bell plays Bernie Torpin in the film, the lesser known lyricist... That writes all of the lyrics accompanying Elton John's music. Yeah,
0: so actually, like, I feel like you're too in the zone to realize how few people probably know about that. Do you just want to outline who Bernie Torpin is and why anyone should give a fuck right. about it?
2: So the vague backstory to Elton John and Bernie Torpin's musical Little career. Little less detail. <laughs> Elton John, England, piano. Yes. Bernie Torpin, long hair, riding. Great, um, right? <laughs> Weekly <clear>. done. <laughs> um, Elton John. Uh, classically trained piano player he was in a blues band that played in pubs and shit he worked out that he was pretty good at writing melodies and writing music and he's very good at music and theory and that kind of thing playing and performing music and vocals piss poor lyricist yes so he rocks up to the literal opposite of Bob Dylan (laughs) he He rocks up to that was a woo for me listening in the future (laughs) don't get triggered future Oscar
0: (laughs) yeah during Um, the edit those
2: shoes uh (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm only the piano player That's about bil- Elton John I said don't shit yourself <laughs> Don't shit myself I'm only the piano player <laughs> That rocks um, Elton John goes to Dick James Head of a music <laughs> Publishing company He was also famous For writing uh, for, for publishing the Beatles Later on And making a whole bunch Of money off them um, And says Hey I can write music I can't write lyrics and Dick James goes through a whole stack of fucking envelopes, hundreds of envelopes sitting on the counter of all these poets writing in lyrics. He goes, ah, oh, fucking take this envelope, this write music to these lyrics, and get back to me. Um, sealed envelope, Elton John takes back to his piano, opens it up, starts writing music to the lyrics of one Mr. Bernie Taupin, who then went on to be the man who write, wrote all the lyrics for every Elton John song, from 1969
0: till today. So basically, Elton John has never written any of his lyrics. No. Ostensibly. Bernie Taupin writes all the lyrics. And Elton John writes all the music. They never create their individual art together. No. So I, I, Basically, Bernie writes his lyrics. And then and just then gives h- a piece of paper to Elton John. And hands yeah. them to Elton John. And Elton John looks at the lyrics and says, Right, what does this sound like? Yeah. And makes up the music to those lyrics. Which is just... When you think about how music is made now, kind of fucking incredible. Yeah, and that's I just don't. I feel like that that is that can't be happening in the world of music much, if at all, anymore.
2: And that's a really old school way of writing music, like the. I can't think of the exact example, but like the um, Gershwin kind of style of writing music, I think one of them wrote the lyrics and one of the other ones wrote the music. I know that Burt Bacharach and Hal David, I think one of them wrote the music and and the other guy wrote the lyrics. Carole King and Jerry Goffin wrote shitloads of stuff in the 50s and 60s. Carole King would write all the music and Jerry Goffin would write all the lyrics. So it's a very sort of late 50s sixties way of writing songs. Right. Where you just get a very talented lyricist and a very talented musician and you shut them in a windowless room and you go write songs.
0: And for the timelines here, Elton John's career sort of exploded at a in the uh, early seventies. Uh, yeah, late sixties, yeah. early seventies, right? So yeah, exactly. I think this this film sort of starts to take off about sixty nine. Right. Um and goes on from there. And yeah. he sort of has is is well established by sort of seventy three. So in terms of that timeline, that fifties or sixties thing, they are sort of coming off the back of it.
2: Yeah, well, that's that's kind of why a lot of people don't realize that musicians like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones were kind of amazing and notable in the day because they whole, wrote their not, own, not just them. All those big bands and pop acts in the sixties, like Simon and Garfunkel, and all of it. exactly, because they wrote their own music and performed their right. own music. Which nowadays it almost it feels like. It's like, who gives a fuck? Elvis didn't write most of his own songs. Mostly, yeah, so other people crazy. wrote songs to Elvis. Like, Mostly, Frank Sinatra had songs written for him. Because
0: now it feels like, if you ask, like, I, I mean, I, I think it, probably most people that aren't idiots know that most pop stars don't write their own music. Yeah. But, like, the fact that there's sort of like 20 person writing teams going into these ratchet pop songs that yeah. sort of don't have anything going for them, but they still had like 30 people kind of produce and write and create them. It's not this one person anymore. Yeah. It, it That is amazing. And it's still amazing. It's still, if you're, if you know what to look for, it's still incredible when you sort of like fucking Kevin Parker, if if anyone doesn't know, like Tame Impala as an artist is basically one dude. And yeah. he writes all of the lyrics and he makes all of the, the music and instruments himself and sort of like records it in a studio himself. Yeah. And and so all of his music is and credited his, his basically his band is like a touring band. Yeah, so he only needs them when he can't do it all at the same time and then he plays with this band called Pond. Yeah. And then that's Tame Impala live, right? But yeah. Tame Impala as a studio as like uh, you, when you buy the CD or listen to his music through Spotify, like that's Kevin Parker doing that shit. And that is an incredibly rare thing in the music yeah. industry these days. And so
2: I think like as 220 something's born in the 90s talking out of their ass a little bit. Mm. I did see kind of seems to me Excuse me. me. <laughs> through my um <laughs> Uh, through my um, like Wikipedia surfing, that you know, that's the sort of thing that's a lot more notable about these dudes back then. Like, right? I, I, you hear stories about. I, I think it's Elton John that I remember reading about, like where he, people like Bob Dylan and Elton John originally kind of wanted to get into music for writing songs for other people, and then started to record them themselves. Right. I might I might have made that fact up, but to say it's a fact. Um, to, <laughs> to, to to give to give evidence to how well, oh pro- fucking <laughs> apparently it is <laughs> to give evidence uh, as to how prolific Elton John was as an artist. Between 1970 and 1975, he released nine studio albums. Right, so
0: what have you done in the last five years? Not you, Oscar, you, the listener, (laughs) you, me, Andrew. (laughs) Yeah, right, and like five of those albums
2: went to number one in the US. Yeah. So, like, he, he was hugely prolific in the 70s, and a lot of this movie that we're talking about today focuses on his rise to fame, his career in the 70s, and then it sort of gets a bit muddy as to how far along in the future the film goes as the timeline gets a bit blurred. Right. But essentially the scenes where you see Elton John in rehab that sort of wrap the film up a little bit are in the 90s. Um, so it spans quite a broad amount of time. The film, in direct contrast to biopics recently like Bohemian Rhapsody, is a musical.
0: Yeah, so that's the big difference. Were here. you
2: expecting that going into it?
0: Uh, I knew about it. I feel I like think it's lo- you told me. Yeah, but, right. I- but I also would have... Christ I would have hated it If I hadn't known So I was a little bit prepared For it
2: I think that to be fair I think that as Elton John Has this reputation For being very flamboyant And very larger than life In his
0: Stage persona Unlike Freddie Mercury (laughs) Right Um, I think that it suits The subject matter quite nicely to have a musical, I, I agree, but I think that my problem with it is that it, that ends there. Like, yeah, right. Beyond that, it's there's nothing to it. Well, but yes, sorry.
2: I think that the Bohemian Rhapsody film, I think, was made very interesting from a plot point of view because it had a main complication, which I suppose you could say was Freddie's struggle with his sexuality, his relationship with his uh, partner, come best friend, Mary. And then his struggle with his illness, leading up to and their rise to fame, leading up to the Live Aid concert. And so there's a very specific arc that you're Event. chasing, where like, yeah, and they're like no matter what tri- trials and tribulations they're going through, no matter how hard Freddie has it, you're like right, I want to see how they make it to Live Aid.
0: And uh, as much as I don't love that movie, and its very like at its at its barest, you sort of it's bookended by the Live Aid concert. Yeah. So it starts with Freddie walking on stage or like walking through the the wings to get to yeah. that performance and it ends with him walking on and stage. And I think it's
2: interesting because Rocketman has a very similar kind of structure, doesn't it? It does, So, but R- worse. So Rocketman starts with Taron Egerton as a 1990s Elton John, all dressed up in this very flamboyant, amazing, looking like demon... Devil costume, yeah. ...winged devil angel kind of outfit into like an AA drug rehab which, type yeah, centre. yeah, it shows him walking down a corridor and then yeah. he sort of sits down and... Which I didn't mind. As an opening, I thought it was very cool. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. Opens with he- it opens with like an instrumental version of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which
0: dun, dun, is nice dun, dun, and it dun, dun, kind of has
2: this dreamy kind of quality dun, to dun, it, dun, which immediately dun, sets dun, up dun. like the fact that perhaps the musical adaptations aren't going to be one for one. They're going to have a bit of imagination and adapt mm. them into the movie itself. And then it's basically... AA people being like, but uh, Elton, how'd you get here? Yeah. And then he. But Elton, what about your dad? Yeah. Uh, and then it's Taryn Edgerton flashing back to several moments in his life to sort wow. of tell the story of his career. I've been a
0: cunt since 1973.
2: <laughs> That's almost a direct quote. Yeah, right. Uh, and so I suppose it's not necessarily a spoiler to say that the film uses that as a frame narrative. And so it begins and ends with him talking in the AA drug meeting about his life and yeah. rise and so I just don't think from a plot point of view I don't I didn't necessarily feel that same excitement and drive to find out where the story was going
0: if you know what I mean yeah I think this film has a concerning number of similarities to Bohemian Rhapsody. When you kind of dig, like you scrape beyond the superficial surface of one being about Elton John and one being about Freddie Mercury. Yeah, I think that the way that it represents those two characters is concerningly similar. I think that the shortcuts that it uses are concerningly similar. What do you mean by that? Like the cliches that it relies on and the crutches that it uses and the main storytelling devices. For instance, I I I was going to ask. So I'll ask this question first, and then I'll I'll explain why I'm asking this question. It's not sure. loaded. I'm just keen to hear yeah, what yeah. you think about it. But what sort of person do you think Elton John is made out to be in this movie? The film depicts him as like a,
2: a drug addict, a person with substance abuse problems, and a person who sort of lets that get the better of him. It shows it shows him throughout the film yelling at his loved ones and losing control, or it tries to sort of show him like losing control And yelling at his friend Bernie and um, getting drunk and overdosing on drugs. And they say he's a sex addict in the film and he's a drug addict. Um, I don't know if this is what you're getting at, but I found that there are a lot of scenes in the film where it's Elton John sitting down with some loved one and being like, I'm so sorry for how I've behaved. I've been despicable. And as an audience, you sort of sit there and you're like, well, have you? I haven't really seen that. Mm. It tries so hard, in my opinion, to have Elton John have these emotional moments where he sits down and says like I'm so sorry for how I've acted that in the context of the film you haven't really seen him act that poorly it spends more time focusing
0: on the consequences of his actions than the actions themselves right
2: and so it feels largely meaningless I think Okay, which I think is maybe what you were getting to
0: well I I actually locked on to a similar theme more to what you started with which was that kind of I feel like Elton John is portrayed as just this like Kind of vulnerable, emotional gay man in a time where that is very much yet to be accepted, and I think um, that's a
2: compelling story. The thing about yeah, this I think film it is can be yes, that is an inherently compelling story. In like the world's biggest rock star has a sexuality that I think in many places was illegal. Yeah, and has these drug abuse and substance abuse problems that almost killed him. Yes. I think that there's an inherently a compelling story there that this film kind of failed to capture.
0: Yeah, and I think that the, one of the worst parts of it is that it it failed to... Not only did it fail to capture it in an interesting way, because I don't think it failed to contain it. Like, it had... It, it, it sort of... You can't argue that it wasn't in there at all. You can see where the film's going, but, I just don't think it's convincing. Right, exactly. And I, I think that it ex- it falls down in almost exactly the same ways as Bohemian Rhapsody does where it's it's following the story of this um this I- exploited uh drug-riddled gay man uh whose problems are attributable to emotional issues stemming from a lack of family support and a lack of properly being able to accept your connection to romantic interests yeah, uh, and being exploited by people who take advantage of those romantic interests especially Um, and I think it just almost made Freddie Mercury and Elton John into the same fucking character and I would be less suspicious of that if they weren't directed by the same person
2: I, I didn't necessarily notice what it is that you're talking about. I suppose now that you mention it, I can see where you're coming from, absolutely, with, like, Freddie Mercury's lover.
0: Yeah, and, I, like, it took me a while to kind of remember that that happened, but what reminded me of it was that I thought, fuck, I've seen a lot of scenes of Elton John spending time in his fucking fancy boy house taking drugs and being angry when someone's confronting him about taking drugs or being angry at a lover who he realizes is taking advantage of him. And then I was like, fucking hell, I was angry in Bohemian Rhapsody for exactly the same thing, watching Freddie Mercury live this lavish lifestyle and suddenly become aware that someone's taking advantage of him, often in close proximity to drug use. Like, it just felt like sort of 60% of these films in a Venn diagram, is identical. I
2: think that it's probably not necessarily fair to say that he's being taken advantage of here, considering that Elton John and Elton John's partner, David Furnish, are
0: both producers for this film. So I No, that's his current partner, but there's a character that's in actually both this and Bohemian Rhapsody because they were the same producer figure. It was played by the guy who plays Littlefinger. Yeah, he in was like a bigwig music
2: manager type dude.
0: So he's played by Littlefinger in Bohemian Rhapsody and he's played by a, a dude who I hadn't really heard much over that with a very strong Scottish accent in, yeah. in this film. Um, and he is romantically involved with Elton for a fair part of the movie. Yeah. And the problem is that it, again, just is this slow, you know, it begins with them being intoxicated with this romance and Elton finally finding someone that's willing to accept him for who they are. It turns out that, like, they have a sort of stake in this person's um, career path. Well, yeah, as as his manager, he gets a cut
2: of Elton's profits and as Elton descends further into his drug addiction... He has more and more rational or irrational arguments with this dude. and this J- dude. John ends up being, Reed is the person's yeah. real life name. This dude ends up being like, fuck you, Elton. I don't care. I don't want to be a lover anymore, but I still get a cut of your money, so let's fucking make this work. Yeah, and the, the way shit. that
0: that actually happens is not that he has a conversation with him. It's that Elton walks in on him, cheating on him, and is like, oh, how could you cheat on me? And he's like, this is just business, baby. And then yeah. Elton's like, I- oh, yeah. And it, in, this, in this film, he's played by the same guy that played Rob Stark.
2: Yeah. Um, it's game th- all Game of Thrones. It's all Game of Thrones yeah. people.
0: Anyway, um, so yeah, I, I, it it felt a little bit to me like, oh Christ, could you not come up with a more interesting way to portray these people than just like vulnerable gay people that are taken advantage by their managers?
2: Yeah, but my point is, and I agree with you, but my point is both Bohemian Rhapsody and the Elton John film were produced by people who have a very strong personal connection to the story itself. Sure. So of course, Bohemian Rhapsody produced by and therefore, I suppose, overseen by Brian May and Roger Taylor, two members of Queen, in Freddie Mercury's absence. This film, executive produced by Elton John and Elton John's partner, both of whom, obviously, have a very strong personal connection. Mm. So if they had a problem with any sort of stereotypical or like uh, helpless gay man in the industry type depiction... They would have said something, I imagine. They wouldn't have and I think that perhaps it's yeah. more just a matter of the reality of the situation of being a gay man in the seventies in the music industry in the seventies or whenever, where like you can't just tell any you can't tell anyone. And then of course you wanna be able and I guess I don't know what I'm talking about, but like and you you wanna be able to like act upon your natural impulses to wanna find a partner and be loved and love, but at the same time you have this public persona and this very public lifestyle. And so I imagine that the fact that you see those two common things is the fact that they're two very similarly hugely famous popular figures in music in a very similar genre of music that have
0: had a similar kind of problem. I think my issue is not that they share characteristics because I I completely agree that I'm sure that they encountered similar oppression and tribulations as a result of that oppression. I suppose I'm saying it can't it might not
2: be a stereotype if it's these all it's two people who've both had a very close shared experience, experience saying the same right. thing.
0: Maybe it's just the reality of the situation. Okay, I could accept that, but I do I also don't feel like that the art distinguished enough between the two characters to do really comparatively either of them justice. Because I felt like the only difference between the two is that, oh, Elton John kind of has daddy issues as well. That brings up another thing I thought it might be worth mentioning,
2: because of course this is a musical, so it starts And as Elton... Yeah, you brought that a, up
0: earlier and it's a huge part of this film, so we yeah, should get so into
2: so it that. starts as Elton John is a child, and there's a good sort of 15 minutes of the film that shows Elton John... As a fucking intolerable child. Yeah, actor. as like a 10-year-old kid, and... The only redeeming quality of the kid is that he looks a bit like Elton John. (laughs) And I don't even think that he was that bad of an actor. I just think one of the problems is, I think, I I suppose one of the inherent appeals to this Elton John movie for me was watching all the music be adapted on screen
0: and just hearing a 10-year-old like squeal out, Saturday night's alright for fighting. This film breaks reality. Way, in, in the same way that a lot of musicals do which is getting to well, let's let's start talking about it as a musical but um, it, one of the s- sort of <laughs> symptoms of that is that it has a 10 year old belting out these modern day Elton John songs that you yeah. know and love like three octaves higher than they should exactly be exactly right and it's awful and it's literally <laughs> just
2: the tone that I have a problem with like, Awful. if they did some weird time warp thing where the 10-year-old cuts and Taron Edgerton sitting there on the stairs in, like, a 10-year-old schoolboy uniform, I'd be happy. That
0: would have been better. It genuinely would have been a better movie if Taron Egerton <laughs> had been dressed up in a schoolboy's outfit. And you can even say, like, it's
2: him retelling the story kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Because I, I heard people talking about, like, the whole, like, unreliable narrator sense of the story. Right. And about how you could view that. Um. It, it just came down to like whenever I heard this little kid singing the singing the songs, I thought it was very very annoying. Yes, um, I agree. And so when like I think in a mercifully quick amount of time, I feel like they realize like all right, we have to set up these child problems that he <laughs> Kill has. Kill this
1: fucking kid, yeah. man!
2: <laughs> <laughs> we have to like set up the, the 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 daddy issues that Elton John has quickly, and then just cut to adult also, Elton John, and in like
0: in a way that I I refuse to believe happened in real life, where this oh, child goes up to his father and says, "Daddy." When will you hug me? <laughs> <laughs> it's like and the dad's like never. I'm too much of a man for that, son. <laughs> or, or some fucking yeah, shit right. like that. And it's like come so yeah, it's like a bit that didn't happen. Yeah, no. So it's a bit heavy. You know what I mean? Ugh. so even the parts that differentiate him from Freddie Mercury, which are the yeah. I, I think are the, the parts that make him a unique person. Yeah. Because Freddie Mercury doesn't have that same like. Because the by-line. movies are a similar kind of story. Right. Yeah. The those parts are the are some of the worst like executed parts of the film where it's just like uh yeah. oh, isn't it wouldn't it be wouldn't it be fucked up if your daddy didn't love you? yeah and like I, I don't want to I think his experience was deeply troubling in a timeline where that would have been deeply troubling. Absolutely I just think this film covered that in such a fucking saccharine way yeah, and that it was bad.
2: Clearly a kid who was in a great need of emotional support and it's right. just the way it was depicted in the film wasn't necessarily very convincing. Um I think that it comes down to a very interesting question when it comes to a biopic versus a musical. Yes. Which is, if a biopic is trying to tell a story literally and accurately and faithfully, where like you cast a dude that looks exactly like Freddie Mercury and you recreate famous Queen scenes shot for shot and all the songs you see them do came out in the year that you see them performing them and you've got to make sure of the timeline very carefully. So you're going for accuracy. Accuracy. How much accuracy is acceptable, or perhaps what are the benefits or the disadvantages of then adapting a biopic-type storyline into a musical? For example, the very first song that is like a big centerpiece of the film, the I Want Love song... Where like the kid sings like oh, I want love, and the dad sings I want love, and the mom and the grandma. Um, it's a bit hammy, but I kind of in a musical kind of way. Awful. In a musical kind of way, I kind of admire them getting an Elton John song and using the sentiment of the song to serve the story of the film. It sounds good on paper. That song came out in like the 1990s, I think. Right, or the 1980s. It was one so of quite Elton's, late in his career. It was a big Elton John. Single, and it's most notable because after Robert Danny Jr. came out of rehab and was like the Hollywood fuck up that's on drugs, right. Elton John cast Robert Danny Jr. in the music video for that and kind of relaunched Robert Danny oh, Jr.'s career. Okay. So and there's it's a lot that of parallels it's there. That late in the game. Right. Um, and so the fact that they've fucked with the timeline and have to bring this song from like, I don't, whatever it is, the late 80s or the early 90s sure. and bring it back to like.
0: The part of the story that's set in
2: the mid when he's a kid
0: playing on his like his mum's home's upright piano is when he's still like figuring out whether or right. not they should send um, him to piano school. Yeah,
2: I think that's an inherently interesting benefit that you yeah. have of having a musical film. What because you've you just told with the me timeline
0: is more interesting than anything that happened. In right, this exactly.
2: Movie. And so the problem is the actual story in this film. Not to harp on for too long about it, the actual story in the film. I don't think it's that compelling.
0: No, it's not and at all.
2: I would argue that the most interesting parts of the film, I would argue, in fact, that the only bad part of the film is the story and the plot advancing parts of the story and the writing that comes along with that, right? Because I think that all of the musical bits in this are really valuable and they're almost the most exciting, compelling parts of the film. I think that the period setting of the film is great and all the costumes are incredible. So I thought, Maybe what did you what did you think about the musical elements of this film that are an asset to the film,
0: rather than tearing apart the writing, which we kind of know is bad, right? Well, I I just dispute that the the writing is bad. Sorry, I don't dispute that. It's absolutely bad. But like, I think <laughs> it's posi- I think it was very possible to execute this in an elegant, sophisticated manner. Absolutely, and, th- and they just didn't do that.
2: I think that there's a good plot in there. I think that you could summarize and find a through line in Elton John's career about the drug addiction or whatever in 2
0: in 2 hours and you could tell that and it'd be fine.
2: Right. I just think they didn't do that.
0: My go to like musical biopic that was done well was Ray. And I was talking about to Ray so, so the biopic about Ray Charles released in I think 2005 with Jamie Fox. I think he I think that, and I was talking to a uh, friend of the show previous guest Pat about this. And the reason why I think that he he said one problem with with these types of stories is that they don't tend to focus on an event. They try and cover everything. They try and cover everything, right. Which is interesting if you're doing kind of a documentary-style thing, so you could have something like Vice, right, which yeah. takes uh, Dick Cheney as a young child or, yeah, I guess a young child and uh, follows his his life and career right through to sort of almost current day, right? Yeah, but it doesn't centre on one particular event. Or s- similarly, Conversely, Bohemian Rhapsody follows specifically the l-
2: line of events to get to the live aid
0: concert. Right, exactly. So the live aid concert becomes the thing. It's an it's an it's almost an event story. And I think in terms
2: of writing and plot, it does that very well. Mm in comparison to Elton John.
0: Right. So there's this thing, I'm going to make this up on the fly and it's actually quite a complicated process. So <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. But let's, I'm going to introduce a thing which uh, a bunch of listeners probably haven't heard of that I was introduced to recently, right? Which is called the Mice Quotient. Yep. Sure. I think this actually comes from Austin Scott Card, Can which is shit. It? M-I-C-E, <laughs> the Mice Quotient, right? <laughs> um, but, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. the, well, just, I don't know, Fuck off. Um, But the MICE Quotient is a way to think about whether or not your story is of a certain type, right? And it's it's a split between the milieu, the idea, the character, and the event, right? And so, like, you've got these four different sort of broad categories that it can come through, and they all have an accompanying rule set that if you're choosing to center your story around the milieu, the idea, the character, or the event, you need to follow these rules, for instance a character story like follows what a character does and why and an event story follows what happens and why it happens and if you choose to apply certain rules to uh one story that come from a different story's rule set it doesn't make any sense and, and it's it not satisfying right okay so sure. if you try to explain like for instance, Dune is a story that's a lot about the milieu. The milieu is the really interesting thing. The world and all that around. Right. right. And yeah. if you suddenly give a certain character a huge revelation, but you've focused so heavily on the storyline being really, it doesn't sort of matter what characters are in this milieu. The interesting thing is the world itself. No it feels one gives jarring. a shit about that character or their revelation. Yeah. They care about the world. Yeah. Whereas if you made it a character story or an idea story and the revelation is the big twist at the end of the story, like Fight Club, right. right? it doesn't matter where it's set. The milieu is not what's important. The important thing is the character and the idea.
2: So I suppose if I can try and interpret what you're telling me about this technique <laughs> and use it in application with Rocket Man, Yes. It sounds like what you're telling us is that... The problem with Rocketman is that at its heart, it's a character film about Elton John, but also it's trying to tell the story of his career and fit this one character. Which I would argue is
0: a milieu. Yeah,
2: and fit one character in this many decades long story. Yes. And all this whole setting of the 70s and the 80s, but it's also got all this other shit going on. So it's it's trying to be a character film, but also be a story film. Yep. And kind of give you this general sense of the 70s. And so it ends up feeling kind of washed out. And it's a fucking
0: musical. Exactly. And then they try to focus on... So the, the real strength, I think, about Ray... Because when I when I try to apply this to what I was just talking about, which is Ray, it's actually sort of difficult because Ray does focus on a character's entire life through their childhood. Well, I think you but, can have a sequence of events without it being a focus on a story. exactly. Right. And what Ray does really well is it splits his life up into a series of vignettes that are each very self-contained ideas about a particular character undergoing a particular hardship and directly growing and learning as a result of and that. And they all sort
2: of tell you the story of Ray's growing anxiety and self-doubt and, is, and, and that kind of thing.
0: They, 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 so like his, as, it's actually character stories. It's individual little character stories which show, okay, he's exposed to drugs and he takes them and then they relax him and so he grows personally as a drug user. So he grows personally as a drug user, grows personally as a drug user, keeps going, and then yeah. and he wants these that. other aspects of his life yeah. and he has to slowly learn, not to be that drug-using personality yeah. and because the main demon in that film is actually his drug use, right? Yeah, I think first it's kind of pot and then it turns to heroin and then it sort of is in the background but then you realise that heroin's been the problem all along and really he has to overcome that in order to grow as a
2: person. I think to talk about Ray, I think one of the most interesting things about that film is it's all about um, him blaming himself for shit that he's done in the past and being either powerless or having the power to change that. And him not being able to sort of tell the difference. Like, he sort of has his drug problems, which he sort of sees as his crippling problem in his life. And then he also has, like, him blaming himself for the death of his baby brother. And the, all those traumas and anxieties kind of get mixed into each other. Right. And it's and that's all sad. this, like, problem where he just ha- has all this guilt and all this anxiety and all this trauma for his past that he just blames everything on himself for.
0: Yeah. And you can argue whether or not he's using the drugs as a result of that past or not. But yeah. either way, it doesn't really matter because they're both impactful and they're both well. Kind of articulated in the story. Yeah. The problem with both Bohemian Rhapsody and I think a lot more so Rocket Man is yeah. that it doesn't follow any of these four categories enough to make any of them interesting. It yeah. skims over his character development to the point where he doesn't really grow as a person. You're immediately shown his sort of like final form when he sits down as a teary alcoholic. And then by the end of the film, spoiler alert, is sort of. Fully recovered, but in the same context. So he's like sitting there as an alcoholic. He's been telling a story for 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, But it feels like by the time he finishes telling that story, which is the end of the film, he's fixed all of his problems. And he's resolved those internal conflicts to the point where he's able to walk out of the room triumphantly and be better Uh, in the 90s. I suppose
2: I don't mind in the uh, head of Elton John him having come to terms with his problems. Right. And the fact that it seems jarring to us is because we've just seen it. But in the world of the film, he's had 10 years to come to terms with it. I suppose the problem is you don't really feel that closure and you don't really see that in the film.
0: Yeah, because as you uh, the, to answer the question that you were actually asking earlier, which is <laughs> what, what are the advantages of it being a, a musical and what does it sacrifice as a result of that versus a biopic conventionally, yeah. I think it could actually have tried less hard to be realistic... And depict his actual uh, traumas and underlying um, kind of like demons and struggles and could have focused more on the surreal and it probably would have been better for it. I agree. I don't think at least it would have been worse. What I would have preferred is for this not to be a musical film. And for it to have been a more interesting biopic. Because I felt like the musical aspect was never truly taken advantage of. Personally, and you might disagree with this, but, but personally, I felt like the musical aspect of this film was purely used as a sort of crutch to show how eccentric the character of Elton John was. And like... It kind of give you this little imaginary journey into what goes on in Elton John's head. Like, oh, Elton kind of saw his whole life as a musical. Yeah, Things just went from scene to scene. And then all of a sudden <laughs> he woke up and realized he was a drug addict. But I think that's actually a shit way to tell the story. Because yeah. we didn't experience that. What we experienced was grounded in, in the reality of Elton's perceptions. So... For me personally, I would have preferred that it committed fully to being a musical or committed fully to being a biopic, and I I feel like it lost out from from either of those things. I think, given the fact
2: that the Queen biopic we saw recently, even though we said it did the plot quite well, it really is just good band has people realise they are good, they get better and make money. Yeah. I don't think that that story is inherently very interesting.
0: I would agree.
2: And I also think the story wasn't very interesting. Right. And so I think that having a target that's very small scale and kind of leading up to live aid is kind of an interesting thing to do with the Queen movie. Similarly with Elton John. I think that the El- Elton John as a character and all of his fancy costumes and his famous extravagant persona and lifestyle lends itself very well to a musical where exactly you can sort of be like, here's a window into that wacky head of Elton John. And I think that given the right kind of musical setting if you commit fully to it would be excellent. One of my favourite bits in the film that fucked it when the little kids started singing was <laughs> when uh, this is a thematic spoiler, whatever, who cares, you're this far into it. I think it's not a movie that you really need to worry about. Spoilers on it, yeah. Uh, it's when, when Taron Egerton tries to drown himself in the pool when he's all drug fucked (laughs) and drunk and he keeps sinking and sinking and sinking and it sort of turns into this surreal dream sequence. I kind of like that as an idea and that was one of the most inherently appealing parts of the trailer for me, I thought. Um, There's a bit... In one of the
0: performances, when he's on the piano and he hits a chord and he starts floating upwards, that was what I was just about to mention because that for me was the best moment of the film. Yeah, it's, it's this uh, one of his his first performance at in the America trouba- at the troubadour at the troubadour club in L. A. And, and like apparently, kind of, I think Bob Dylan.
2: They they drop a lot of names. They're like, oh. Uh, the Beach Boys are in the audience tonight and we won that hat from Bob Dylan right? and, and Neil and Young played here last night. It's meant to act out. as
0: this source of anxiety for Elton, like, don't fuck this up, man. There's a lot of important people here watching you. And what happens is he comes out and he really... Absolutely kills it, nails it, and he and he feels this energy.
2: Yeah, and we've seen him be this anxious, awkward dude the whole time. Yeah. And it's the first time we've really seen him come out as Elton fucking John in like a star-spangled overall, weird jumpsuit thing.
0: And like he and walks out, it. and everyone's quiet because they don't really know who he is. And he starts in this weird way, really slow, brooding, crocodile rock entry, and then like kind of blows it up into what we all know now is the Normal version of Crocodile Rock, but it yeah. it 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 really takes the audience by surprise. And you can, what it does is it starts off being a normal performance, but then halfway through, he starts to play these chords, and his feet physically lift off the ground as yeah. if gravity has been reduced. So the only thing he's and touching is, is the, the keys,
2: and he's like horizontal.
0: Right, and one of his hands is kind of floating above him, where he's kind of struggling to control it because later he sort of brings it back down to keep playing and the audience similarly is is starting to float off of the auditorium floor and it really does give you this sense that that must be what it felt like was that he was physically it it's not explicable in the bounds of reality physically intangibly better than everyone else right. it
2: sort of almost serves as this metaphor that shows he what he elevated
0: was like. them with him that he yeah. felt that sense of elevation above reality and that they were elevated too and that for a moment everyone in that room was sort of sharing that experience and yeah. I thought that was actually an incredible way to show that. I think Not so. just visually but in a storytelling sense in a musical sense yeah. where you've got this entire group of people that are breaking rules to show a thing happening to... And really, what that's, impo- that's important because it's what Elton was feeling. It's not important because yeah. that's what actually happened. It's important because it made Elton John feel that way and it never happens
1: again. And I think and that's so one it, like, of... Yeah.
0: It's just going to be that magical experience he's going to be able to hold onto for the rest of his life. But the problem was, it never really did that again.
2: I agree. I think that that's one of the most valuable parts of the musical surreal kind of aesthetic. Yeah. I suppose you could go with like a... I don't know why it's sprung to my mind, but a sort of dramatic film that has a normal drama plotline that is surreal as a film, like Big Fish... Like, that's not a sure. musical, but that has a drama plot that's very surreal and strange. I suppose you could have something like that, but considering it's about a musician who has all these great, crazy songs with quite vividly Fuck, I descriptive loved, lyrics. I, I, was,
0: I, I was struggling to put the pieces together in my head, but I, then it clicked. I would have loved a story where Elton John tells this story and it's it's completely surrealist. And he, like, he meets
2: the Rocket Man. And, and he, he
0: says, like, everyone's feet were off the ground and it's literally happening. That would be much better than yeah. what happened. Yeah. That would be great.
2: I would have loved a lot more of those surreal moments yeah. in the film and I think that there's that's one a of the few more Yeah, but
0: they're all sort of trite like yeah. at one point he's sort of playing on a grand piano and it's spinning round in front of this audience and he changes costume a couple of times so it's sort of using yeah. that to show the passage of time or whatever but it, it doesn't have the same impact I felt yeah
2: I think that my main if we talk about so we can probably finish by maybe talking about our favourite bits of the film
0: yeah but, I mean that um, was mine okay
2: uh, I, th- I think that my main problem then I think I only in passing mentioned it before was just the idea that it tried to have a lot of emotional beats in the film with Elton John sitting down with people saying I'm sorry for this I'm sorry for that that we don't have to talk about it but there are whole characters that are introduced only so he can apologise for
0: them and for that character to be completely dismissed you're talking about one specific character especially right and that was my worst moment where you're like hold
2: on who the fuck is this what's happening what's Elton John apologising for if
0: you give a shit we're going to spoil this little bit because I can't not talk about it Yeah. But, okay, if you care about this, go watch it. You've got, like, five seconds. It's it's not a spoiler. Three, two, one. Okay, great. In real life, Elton John did marry a woman at a certain point. That happens in this film. I think over the course of, I'm going to be generous, two minutes of screen time, this woman is introduced, not named. She says, wow, your life must be lonely. He looks at her lovingly. She looks at him lovingly. The next scene is them walking out of a fucking church, having just been married. And the next scene is Is them sitting with her tearily eyed at a dinner table and him basically saying, I'm sorry. And then it cuts to him basically saying to someone else yeah I'm still gay and, and I married di- her and it was and a mistake divorced, and she yeah. didn't deserve it because she was a nice woman and that's when she's named and then yeah. it's never talked about again
2: and so I, I spoke to someone recently who said like yeah but like you watch them come out of separate bedrooms so you can sort of figure I'm like yeah no 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 you introduced her two hours into the movie Either don't have her in it at all, pick pick your moments. I don't need to see every single second of this dude's career. And
0: again, I'm sure that that's something that similarly happened to Freddie Mercury, where he thought that he could love a woman and that that would solve a lot of his problems, but that he just couldn't quite... But it was done, and I never thought I'd fucking say this, it was done a lot better in Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Where it actually showed that impact of that relationship. I think a lot of stuff was done...
2: Pretty well in Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Perhaps in comparison to this. (laughs) (laughs) Finishing off though, because we could complain about the plot. I think you get it. I don't think a lot of the plot and the
0: emotional beats are that convincing in this film. Yeah, it's. uh, Bottom line, I think it's not worth your time.
2: Well, see, that's that's where I kind of. I don't know. I kind of found myself being bored in some bits, but it's only because there's so much plot stuff and there's Mm. not enough musical stuff. Like this.
0: You want to watch a live Elton John concert.
2: Yeah. I Um, think that's what you want to watch, right? I wanted to watch the reimagining and the surreal kind of musical nature of Elton John's music. Uh, put to his life. I right. liked the idea of the, the new song being set to his childhood scenes. I liked when another benefit of being in a musical is they can just pick whatever songs they want and put them wherever they most suit. Yeah, Like the Saturday Night's are Right for Fighting sequence where it first starts as a big dance musical number. I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was quite fun and it was a good way to introduce the whole surreal nature of them being in a musical and dancing in a carnival yeah. and all that. Um, I thought that the Your Song scene where we watch him writing your song was very good that's not necessarily surreal but if you're not a big old john fan you're gonna have to go and figure his, out which one that it's is his big hit you'll yeah. know there's a couple scenes where you watch them writing music and it's really interesting um and i suppose that it's just let down by i think in total a good half an hour of exposition and story stuff where you're literally sitting there being like what's happening right now
0: yeah it was a it felt like a mess
2: it was yeah, it was a fucking mess. Like it felt like they had fifteen dot points and they had to cover all of them and right. then they also had thirty songs and we had to there were too many performances in this film yeah. or there were too many story sequences. They had to work out more of a way of getting the songs to
0: tell the story or cut some songs and cut some story and have it be a slimmer film. Right. Because what it didn't ever sacrifice was the aesthetic and the milieu. And that's what's really good. And, And so, like, what would happen is you would get a scene for, like, 45 seconds that would look fucking incredible. You literally and turned to be on point and said,
2: I can't tell whether that's like, they've just shot that scene near or whether that's like remastered footage of LA in the 70s. Right.
0: Like Which, because Some I, of the I, period stuff is spot Because there were on. like 200 period cars driving on a bridge. Yeah. And it was like, well, that, but it looked like 4K. So yeah. I was like, well, that has to be remastered. But then it, uh, or
2: because... Who would have that footage? You though?
0: can't <laughs> fucking film that. That's like half of a city that they're filming. Yeah. In, and it's in period. Mm. But the thing is... Uh, it would then cut to a scene where they were in a club or whatever and it would still look just as convincing but it would have like shitty storytelling for 45 seconds and then it would cut to a completely different scene in a completely different place which obviously had required a completely different set to be built and I think what it made it feel like was that they had developed these rich, beautiful locations that then were... Whirlwinded through, yeah, and not given any time to marinate in us as the yeah. viewer, and so it 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 gave this film a completely rushed, messy sense, yeah, where we didn't actually get to delve beyond the superficial of any of his characterization, um, and it was just spectacle without any kind of substance.
2: I think so, and I think it's all represented by the opening scene in which Taryn Edrish really introduces himself to the AA meeting and says. I'm a drug addict, and an alcoholic, and a sex addict, and a shopaholic.
0: There's more than that. I watched
2: an interview where they sort of comment on the fact that he, he's listing all those fucked up problems and it's played for laughs. Yeah. Um. But it's like, yeah, I would have loved it if the movie just focused on one of those things.
0: Right, exactly, yeah. I mean, and it, it would have been difficult, but they could have done it. Yeah, In a exactly. more compelling way. I think that the film is valuable, though, if you have as, uh, enough interest in the music I just listened to a couple of Elton John albums man like yeah. honestly I think you'd get most of your <laughs> enjoyment and you wouldn't have to spit you could do something else at the same time he has a lot of crazy music videos that a lot of people haven't seen which are sure. cool. Like,
2: um, I'd, I'd be interested to hear how you thought about it not knowing his music very much but um, I think if you have enough interest in the music and you know enough about Elton John where you're going to know what's happening then you'll be able to understand it I just don't think, if you're watching it, being like, cool, I'd love to know a lot more about Elton John. I don't think it stands well as a movie.
0: No. Like,
2: I've watched a couple documentaries and biopics and shit in the past where if you don't know what's going on, it's just a terrible movie because you don't have any idea what's going on. I don't want to stand up here and be like, I understand Elton John. But it's like, I just think, if you don't already love Elton John, I don't really see if there's much merit in this. But the flip side of that is, if you do like Elton John, I reckon it's worth your time. I reckon the costumes are incredible. I reckon the art direction on this film is really well done, and the 70s period is really well done, and I think for that reason, it's probably worth seeing. You're just going to have to stick with the boring plot shit.
0: Yeah, just to add to that, I think people's performances in this film are reasonably convincing. I think Taron Egerton was actually pretty brilliant.
2: He was very good in this.
0: Uh, Bernie's character, I guess I, I have to say, is probably brilliant because he felt like... Genuine the whole time. There's an interview he I was read. Just a, kind of like yeah. gormless and a bit, bit boring, but there apparently was, extremely yeah. good at his job.
2: Well, there was an interview I read with uh, Bernie Torpin from Time Magazine where he said, like, yeah, it's basically what it was like, and I, it sort of took me back a couple times. And
0: right, yeah, sure. So that was played by Jamie Bell. Richard Madden, who is Rob Stark, playing John <laughs> Reed. I actually thought was not particularly great. And then as we go down the list, Bryce Dallas Howard, who plays uh, Elton John's she mother, he was pretty bad has a British accent, and her British accent's not bad, but, like, as an audience, there is going to be a pretty... And I'll, I'll, I'll fucking claim this. I reckon there would be a pretty significant overlap between Bryce Dallas Howard's Jurassic Park audience, as in Jurassic Park World, and yeah. fucking Rocket Man's audience. I think a lot of people that just go to see normie movies are going to go and see both of these films. And you fucking know... That Bryce Dallas Howard is not Elton John's fucking mum. I didn't recognise her, but she looked a bit young just to I, be in I, the I cast. I immediately recognised her and it ruined every single scene she was in for me. Yeah. Because I was just like, that's Bryce Dallas Howard. She's an American actor. Like, it just... Yeah. I Maybe most people don't give a shit. I don't think she was particularly good. <laughs> and I think that it was an awful casting decision. So, yeah, right. That in mind... As I said, I think Tarrant Edgerton is really, really great. Mm. And uh, I think that it didn't suffer from the same, as far as I could tell, editing issues that Bohemian Rhapsody suffered from or a couple yeah. of the same sort of, like, assembly issues. I
2: honestly think the whole film was excellently made by right. the script.
0: Right. I, I I would be much more willing to acknowledge that. I mean, I, I didn't watch it... <laughs> full disclosure, this was after we went to a whiskey expo. <laughs> So, yeah. I'm not really sure how great I was at the start of the movie, but yeah. sobering up, it didn't hold up. And I, well, n- yeah. Nothing
2: better than watching a mediocre drama slash musical while
0: sobering up. Right. <laughs> After you just bombed your liver with spirits <laughs> yeah. for three hours. Yeah, right. So, um, it's hard to say, but I feel like it... I, I wasn't watching the movie with the same critical lens as I would have been if I'd known that it was made by the same people as made Bohemian Rhapsody, at least right. in part. So I didn't notice it suffering from the same issues, which probably means that it didn't. And yeah. it was just as well. I would say, like, Taron Edgerton's performance is maybe only a slight mark below Freddie Mercury's. Uh, 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 um, Rami Malek's, Rami Malek's as Freddie Mercury's. Yeah. But still very good.
2: He's, so, very, he's very good. Yeah, and uh, he, honestly... He gets the voice a lot. There's this one scene where he he introduces himself as like Elton, where it really sounds like him. Right,
0: okay, so uh, maybe he was doing a better job of it and people that don't know Elton John, that's going to be lost on them. Yeah. In which case, similar, I guess, to Freddie Mercury. But if you gave me the choice, I, I think I'd rather have watched Taron Egerton in a new movie... Maybe even another Kingsman
1: movie. <laughs> 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 this is just
0: interesting thing wants to watch Kingsman. Then in this, yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Uh, like it feels a little bit like he looks a lot like him and he does a pretty good job, but it was something like, we didn't uh, mention uh, is yeah, that he sure. sings
2: all the songs. Uh, and I think yes. the ones that he sings are done very well. They are. I think the um, ones where it has a kid singing. Or the mum singing, yeah. which is really just one bad. song. There's a couple of
0: songs where the kid sings and it's kind of annoying.
2: If you go and watch... Or
0: there's also... Uh, which one's the one that he is? There's a famous duet.
2: Don't go Breaking My Heart with right. Kiki
0: D. So that's song with a...
2: He uh, does that and they recreate that because that music video is shot like it's in a studio. So they sort of
0: recreate that music video a bit. Which oh, is Oh, fuck. My second favorite moment of this whole film, which was my f- second favorite because it was bad, <laughs> was him being inserted into an actual Elton John video clip footage. Oh, that was wild. In a way that's like a Gen X meme. To be, like fair, it's to <laughs> bad. To be
2: fair, it's in the credits. Yeah, so I do not quite
0: mind it. Genuinely great, and I think that they must have like known how shit it looked, yeah. but it was clearly like edged and being green screened onto into this the old
2: video clip. For I'm Still Standing. Which is
0: Fucking funny. It's I thought that funny. was great. I stayed to watch the whole thing. It was <laughs> but I, I just think that they would have thought like, oh, it's magic, you know? Yeah. And for me it's like, no, I, this is this is like I'm on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> this is good shit. Like, yeah. How fucking yeah. funny would it be if they actually um, did this, but they actually did it. Yeah. So yeah.
2: I'd be curious to go back and watch this movie if it wasn't on a come down, but to be honest, I didn't in I there was so much of this movie where I found myself actively bored. Right. I seriously think listen I to it,
0: Elton John's music. Like, if you want I think my, that's 90% of your experience. Yeah. If you want my recommendation
2: for Elton John albums to go in on, I'm a bit of an album guy. Yeah. I think that the best Elton John album is probably Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. It's a double I'd album. Agree with that. It's got a whole bunch of great songs on it that are real rockers at the start, and it transitions into
0: a lot of softer.
2: Almost country type music at the towards so the was, end. Of he it? was,
0: as you said, he was part of a blues band, and so he's got that real like. Country blues. He's got sports, a country right. blues kind of voice. He Jazz. Was,
2: he had a very broad taste in music. So I think that album kind of captures his variety very well. Yeah. There is an album that he and Bernie wrote in the mid-70s, right after they released all their huge albums with songs like Tiny Dancer and Daniel and Good Bray Yellow Brick Road and Candle in the Wind and all that shit, um, called Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. That doesn't have very many singles on it, but the album itself... I personally think is very good and it's autobiographical. So it tells their story of their rise to f- fame in a very strange, poetic, metaphorical way. I reckon of way. you
0: could bet on that as being a great experience more than you could bet on this movie being a great. Yeah, experience. and that, that album's very good. Yeah.
2: Um, so I think if you want to go in on a couple albums for Elton John, maybe that might incite you and inspire you enough to watch the movie and get something out of it. I certainly got a lot out of the movie.
0: I had the opposite where I wanted to listen to his music after I watched the movie.
2: I think if anything, it gives you a really good appreciation for his music and for his lyrics that a lot of people don't have. I think a lot of people write off Elton John as that weird flamboyant dude from the 70s that wrote Crocodile Rock without appreciating how much of a musical genius he was and how great and poetic and
0: elegant his lyrics are. He's got some brilliant songs. I think if I could have asked for the movie to focus on one thing, it would have been his brilliance in the... to convert Bernie's lyrics into something that was just magical like, well, I think, I think it, that was yeah. the, b- the best parts of the movie for me other than where it surreally illustrated his experience were when you watched the magic of Elton John actually happen but it was so maybe it was one scene it was pretty fleeting like two yeah. scenes uh, and for me like maybe that would have been tired after the first time they properly reflected yeah. it but I just wish, like, for me, that, that's the interesting thing about him is what an actual genius he was to be able to take these words and sort of see the way that they felt enough to play yeah. that on a piano. But then so. also you're like, how do you write lyrics without a melody? That's also amazing. Yeah, it could have delved more into Bernie's character because he was always just this dude that mailed lyrics. Yeah, and uh, and and we don't really ever get any insight from him other than he's like, "I love you, Elton, but also I'm not gay." (laughs) Well, they're also they
2: both share the um, the amazement at the fact that it was literally just a random envelope that the dude picked and gave them to him, and now they're like one of the most profitable, iconic songwriting partnerships of the century. Mm. That like he could have like the publishing guy could have just picked
0: any random envelope full of lyrics and given it to... I think it would have even been more interesting than most of what they showed for them to show Bernie's writing process, right? Hear me out. This is what I would do differently. <laughs> Bernie's writing process, even if that's boring initially to watch on screen because you'd be interested as watch to why you Watch a grown man
2: write on a pad yeah, with a pen.
0: come up with ideas refine his craft refine his art so every one interesting thing that I noticed was that every Bernie Torpin lyric sheet that we ever saw in the film was completely free of any corrections or errors so I want to know did he write those repeatedly did he like scribble them down and cross things out and get them right or whatever because we see him writing one at a dinner table And he sort of, or the breakfast table, and he finishes it and gives it to Elton and that's the final copy, right? The one
2: song you see is uh, Bernie Torpen scribbling down the lyrics to your song at breakfast. He goes up to brush his teeth. And by the time he's come back down, Elton John's written the song. Which
0: apparently is sort of... Basically how it happened. Right. I would have been interested in seeing how Bernie came up with those lyrics and what he based those on. And then sort of yeah. intercutting between Elton slowly developing and kind of like trying to get these record deals and playing as part of this band while we see Bernie write and write and write and write and then have him mail it off, follow that envelope in on its journey of like serendipity, the shit gets crazier and crazier. Yeah, right. Cool. To end up in the recording I- or in the uh, producer's office, and yeah. then finally Elton John walks in, and it's kind of almost from the perspective of Bernie's envelope. And it's candle and in the wind. Elton whatever, walks yeah. in. Yeah, exactly. And he takes it out and he's like, "Uh, this one." And yeah. the envelope is the thing that's important. Oh, right, because the first that's one. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I think that would have been a more interesting way to reflect the the, the crazy serendipity of that being the envelope he picked out of the and stack. And that could
2: be a whole musical sequence as you go. Yeah, right. right. That kind I of think surreal that's stuff's vastly what I more interesting than
0: than anything that happened in the film. because
2: well, there's a lot of weird scenes with just contract negotiations and stuff that aren't necessarily very interesting.
0: Right. And yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and and similarly to to Bohemian Rhapsody, where it was a lot of like what felt like the people actually involved in the story acting as executive producers being like I want this scene to feel like a big fuck you to the people that told me it wouldn't happen yeah you know? that was and a lot
2: stronger behind him right. in Rhapsody than this but still yeah and it still happened where yeah.
0: Yeah, they kind of he fucks over a few people and he's just like it's not personal yeah. And it's like, yeah, I don't give a shit about this crap. I don't like this this has no grounding in reality. I'm not able to empathize because I'm not a rich person or a musician. Like, yeah, it's yeah. boring. Anyway. Um should we wrap it up? Wrapping up. Right. Um, I think as you say, it's worth your time to go in on Elton John's music, but not worth your time to Well, but my opinion is that you'll get that experience. You don't need to go in on this movie. I don't yeah. think it's worth your two hours. To watch it.
2: If you can get a DVD or you can get it on iTunes and you can skip past the boring shit, I think that a lot of the cool sequences are cool enough to go mm-hmm. in on it.
0: It's well shot and well made. Uh, some of the CGI was dog shit, oh, actually. Yeah. Like, properly
1: <laughs> properly dog properly dog, dog, <laughs> dog <laughs> shit where <laughs> it was like,
0: this isn't uh, this, this looks like a it re- reminded me of like the floop scenes from <laughs> fucking Spy Kids like it was that like <laughs> that level of CGI Next so. week we're
2: doing Spy Kids
0: Fuck yeah, man. I got Spy Kids 3D with the <laughs> right. blue and red 3D glasses in in that drawer. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, beyond, beyond that, like, yeah. I think
2: we've been pretty clear about the sort of better than, worse stands that we're attributing to this film. I think that the surreal, musical, fun parts of this film are a lot better than Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. I think the Bohemian Rhapsody is a lot better in terms of the direction and the plot and the story. Yep. Um, similarly, I think, I think that Ray is the top of the lot.
0: Absolutely. Great piece of art.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think that it's a perfect compromise of music and strange artistic kind of elements interspersed with a clear story that has a clear objective. It shows his process.
0: It shows why he's an interesting musician. It shows everything. And
2: I think that both Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocketman have some sort of failing in one sense or another that mean that they're inferior. What... What was that uh, one where you were talking about ages ago where Bob Dylan was played by like 20 different people? That's a film called I'm Not There. I haven't watched that since I really got into Bob Dylan, but I remember when I was a lot younger and I watched that, it was really confusing because it doesn't quite explain a lot of the story. Because it's played by like nine different people, and okay. the idea is that Bob's gone through so many phases in his career that each actor plays a different phase of the career, completely
0: differently. So where yeah. would you rank that? I'd have to watch
2: it again. I, I think it's hard, man. I have no, to no. watch it again, and I think if,
0: it just gut feeling. Where does it go? Bottom? Uh, no, I think it's good. I think it's good. Right. I think so would it would go below Ray.
2: Yeah, I think it'd go somewhere between Ray and these Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay, that's man cool. Movies. Interesting. So I really there you go. Watch it again, though. Because again, it's really strange.
0: If you're into, but I think if you're if you're more into film than sort of these musical personalities, then maybe you'll enjoy something like that, yeah. which is clearly playing a lot more with the filmic genre than it is with like the musical stuff. I think so. You know? So is that about
2: time to wrap up for this week, boy? Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us for another week. As always, you can email us if you have any thoughts on what we spoke about this week. Uh, if you have any criticisms. Uh, Keep them to your fucking self. <laughs> if you think that any of the, the jingles this week we did were actually done by <laughs> a robot or pre-recorded, let us know. Do let us. Uh, the email address is beefstationpod at gmail.com. Keep your emails flooding in, Gina and Marin, yeah, <laughs> and Mary to an extent. <laughs> uh, Mary's, fa- Mary's
0: a Twitter dm We up. could
2: just block the rest of you <laughs> ingrates and still get the same number of emails. <laughs> email us, please. Um, Facebook is facebook.com slash beefstationpod pod. Search us up on Facebook, beefstation, and you'll find us, and we can update you on all the new episodes mm. as they come out. Tell your friends uh, we're reasonably proud of this podcast, and it's happened to uh, 50 episodes now. I was going to say. turning
0: nice out. 50th, bro. Thanks, bro. You're welcome.
2: Um, if you could stop cupping my. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> uh, we've done, we've <laughs> that done about. That didn't happen. That we've wasn't <laughs> real. I wasn't doing that. We've done 49 slash 50 of these now. Um, and oh, yeah. <laughs> Our first lost episode. Yeah, oh, R.I.P. the lost episode. If enough of us, if we get it if we get a Game of Thrones style petition out there for us to release the lost first episode, we just might. Thanks for joining us for another week. I'm Oscar.
1: I am Andrew.
2: See you later. <laughs>